All right, welcome, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Annoying Question Boy Podcast. I am joined once again by friend of the show and friend of mine, Troy. Say what up. Howdy. Uh, And we are going to spend today kind of talking about uh, the term defunding the police, uh, kind of talking about the origin stories of the modern police system, um, and the propaganda that exists behind perpetuating that system and how it came to be. Uh, But of course, first we have to roll the intro music, so let's do that. Alrighty, first things first, uh, let's go ahead and talk about um, why it is that most people in this country hear the term defund the police and immediately uh, dig in their heels and defend. Um, I think one of the best points to start at would be... uh, recognizing that most people who don't experience quote-unquote bad cops are white people who uh, see themselves in the police officers who are mostly white um, and the politicians, wealthy people, and uh, most of the elites in society who are also white and talk about how it is that we got to a point in society where Police are mostly white and uh, acting against people who aren't. So to do that, we have to talk about the history. So, Troy, would you like to take over? Sure, yeah. It's it's also important to just point out that a big part of this uh, white officer versus black citizen problem is the issue of community. And, you know, having cops that are from outside of the community who aren't a part of the community kind of ruling over another community and this sort of even colonial almost relationship of power. So I guess the first place to start with the history of police in America is actually the history of police in Europe, which is really interesting because we kind of in, you know, the north in New York, just kind of copy and pasted from the old British system of urban policing. And their system of policing was very explicitly to police the behaviors of poor people and vagrants and people who were seen as less than the more middle, upper-class residents of the city, especially in cities like London where you actually had the, you know, the nobles, the king residing in the city. And so their job... The, these police officers' job was mostly to crack down on the homeless, the gamblers, the prostitutes, the drug users, and the drunks, mm-hmm. which you can easily see the parallels to that in, you know, modern NYPD or LAPD, how these people really are cracking down on just behaviors that are seen as less than desirable in the more well-to-do populations and, you know, those middle-class types' minds. Brutalizing the people and protecting capital and property, as is the job of the police department. Oh, definitely. And, you know, if that wasn't sinister enough, police agencies in the South have a much, much more sinister origin story. Because their true, you know, grandparent is the runaway slave patrol catching, you know, society. Which was really just a group of 
you know, racists that had nothing better to do than round up all of the runaway slaves and try to return them to their property, you know, the property owners. Which is, it's, I can't remember whether I read an article or watched a video about the fact that most slave patrol, uh, when they caught, you know, whatever slave they were chasing after, oftentimes would either just simply release them into say say a slave ran from Alabama to Louisiana oftentimes that slave could find themselves just being sold to another slave owner in Louisiana because you had slave owners who were spending so much money on slaves because something that isn't really taught in schools is actually how expensive owning slaves was and how Mm -hmm. ridiculously stupid of an economic choice it was because of that. Um, So a lot of times slave owners didn't have the money to pay the slave patrol uh, to bring that slave back so they would just settle and take some of the money that that person got after selling that Mm -hmm. slave to a new slave owner. Yeah, I think part of what isn't taught in public schools about the Civil War is that the people that owned the slaves weren't these poor white southern farmers that were doing the fighting on the ground for the Confederacy. No. The people that owned the slaves were the plantation owners. And in reality, the the people fighting on the ground for the conf- Confederacy, these poor white farmers, were actually fighting against their own interests. Mm-hmm. They were fighting to continue the system of slavery which made it so that all of the rich farmers were getting labor for literally no cost. Whereas these poor white, you know, these poor southern farmers with their own, you know, personal piece of property weren't able to sell their crops for hardly anything. Right, and they were breaking their... And that's that's kind of a, a parallel to today's society. You have this mass group fighting against their own interests because of propaganda and systems that have existed. So therefore, you know quote-unquote have to exist because Mm -hmm. they've existed for so long that they continue fighting for something that is actually very antithetical to what their material needs actually are. Mm -hmm. And then you would think that, you know, this whole business of runaway slave patrols might, you know, have gone out the window with the 13th Amendment, the abolition of slavery, everything like that. But wait, there's more. But wait, (laughs) we... You know, a lot of people in America are very uh, willfully ignorant to the reality that was Jim Crow, southern United States of America, what it was to live in a segregated, apartheid-like society where people could literally be murdered publicly on the street. And were often. And were often by people who you know, might not even be wearing masks to conceal their identity. You know, these were lynchings. These Mm -hmm. were murders. This was terrorism against these populations. And if the police were not only willfully ignorant in it, they were participating in it. They were leading it. Mm -hmm. These were people that did, you know, whatever they wanted to with impunity of the law against this group of people whose mere existence was made illegal in most public spaces. And you also have to take into account that uh, at, at that point in time in American history, colonialism and imperialism 
um, white nationalism and America first uh, ideology had already been so far beaten into the minds of most of these people that were going to these, you know, public lynchings, these uh, public burnings of uh, black folks. You had um, police departments that were built by and maintained by people whose, you know, parents or grandparents were maybe runaway slave owners or or run runaway slave patrol members um or new people who were or even just existed in a world where shit like that was acceptable and the norm um and then you now cut to you know Jim Crow an era in uh American history that I think I maybe spent approximately a class on in mm-hmm. total in my entire high school career um, learning about, and you, you have to take into account that this is yet another version of propaganda. This is an entire culture built around the destruction of a, another people group, another culture that perpetuated further into American society and created more just absolute brainwashed individuals that of course they're going to teach their children the same fucking thing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it is not an understatement to say that this is a period of American history where half of the country was a part of a society that intentionally committed acts of what we could call terrorism against its own people. You know, that is a part of the history of policing in this country. And when we talk about defunding the police, we do not talk about defunding the police as some, you know abstract thing that's supposed to solve all the problems that came along with this history but it's a start right is what it is and i think you have this idea well i I don't think i know you have this ideology in this country that these police whether they're you know state troopers sheriffs or even just your fucking desk jockey who failed out a you know community college and then decided, well, 800 hours of training isn't too much. I'm going to just go ahead and be a police officer. You have every level of police officer in this country believing that they are some God-ordained hero that exists in this lawless land, and if they weren't available to patrol the streets the the world would just fall into anarchy as if they're actually stopping any violent crime but i am i am getting ahead of myself Let, we we should continue talking about not only the history of police but the history of propaganda surrounding police and crime in this country and i think the the best place to start would probably be urbanization in the industrial revolution and this sudden influx of just absolutely different people, different cultures all coming together as one, and how at this time things such as race, religion, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation, well, I guess really back then that might not have been as big of a a separating tool, but wealth as well, um, and how these were used as divisive tools to separate the working class into kind of sex. Mm Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, sorry. 
Yeah, I think a, uh, an important part of that story is also the sort of white flight that accompanies urbanization in the in the bigger cities in this country, where you see a lot of the most violent police departments in this country. Like, for example, the Minneapolis Police Department is one of the most brutal in the entire country. Statistics can back this up. They have more, they have m- more cases of police brutality than you would imagine a place like Minneapolis should. Right, yeah, I always think of Minnesota as being, like, this very white bread, chicken shit, uh, like... Like American Canada. Like American Canada. Yeah, which, you know, I feel like most people believe, but, I mean, I think even just talking on, uh, uh, the, the amount of cases of police brutality, that's not even taking into account the amount of, uh, uh, cases that weren't filed. Or were filed and never taken anywhere further than, you know, the the filing cabinet. Um, and you have to see a, a just system continuously cycling through the, the same motions of brutalizing people, propagandizing against those, hiring new officers um, that have beliefs in that system. And you see that, you know, furthering and furthering itself. And you have, like I said, this group of God-ordained people who believe that they are the the thing standing between um, law and order and just complete and utter destruction of a society as a whole. And that leads to hyper-militarization, that leads to an overinflation of police budgets, that uh, leads to... Uh, group of people who are responding to uh, things such as homelessness, maybe uh, public indecency, public uh, intoxication, with a gun on their hip that they are just absolutely just dying to use. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, and speaking of law and order, within the general population... Most of the what we understand about police comes from these shows like Law and Order, like even, you know, Criminal Minds, uh, SVU. These shows that give this, you know, hyper-actionized, you know, super-do-good cop, moral righteousness, always doing the right thing. When in reality, those type of police officers are one in millions, you Mm -hmm. know. And even if you do find a police officer with that type of moral conviction, with that type of, you know, wit, smarts, whatever it is you see in these people on the screen, it's like the moment they step out of line with what one of their superiors says in a moment where their moral consciousness takes over, they're fired. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had, what what was that guy's, it was a, uh, I can't, I remember reading the article probably about a year ago about an officer, I want to say in California, who was fired for not shooting someone that they were trying to arrest. And I I know that that's a pretty uh, broad statement to make, and obviously with no name or location, it's kind of hard to look up. But I know for a fact that in a system where the way that police uh, precincts make money is by making arrests, by fining people, by giving tickets, by collecting tax money, by uh, basically by stealing from citizens as well, um, you 
Well, by making <laughs> by making taxpayers believe that it's worth it, that right? Fifty percent of their tax dollars go to police. I mean, most people don't even know that fifty percent of their tax dollars go to police aid. Also, a good thirty percent of your tax dollars go to hyper militarization in this country. I mean, we have a, a, a massive military, but we won't even get to that yet. But I think uh, I think we should shift to uh, an actual uh, st- structural argument for defunding of the police. So let's let's start at the the most common argument against defunding the police being who will stop crime if not for the cops. Um and that has such a huge uh bias just built directly into it on 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 operating under this assumption that police officers actually exist to stop crime. Um, I have some statistics here ready for you, and I know I don't often do my research on this podcast, but we did it today. So, uh, according to, uh, actual statistics coming from, uh, police precincts such as Sacramento, LA, New York, you have statistics saying that approximately 40% of murders in the U.S. go unsolved, um, a staggering 70% of sexual assaults go unsolved, and almost nearly 90% of burglaries go unsolved. And that is setting aside the fact that so many cops existing and, you know, being given badges actually adds to the amount of crimes being committed. Um, You have police brutalization, you have murder of unarmed black men, corruption, money laundering, things of that nature that would not be able to happen in such a massive amount if it weren't for the just absolute raw number of police officers that we have in this country. Mm. And when it comes to the actual prevention of crime, you have to think about what the causes of crime are which include things like poverty Mm -hmm. and alienation, which can cause, you know, psychological problems, trauma, stress, broken home lives. Lack of education, health care. All of these things. All of these things contribute to, you know, people committing burglaries, assaults, you know, even homicides with these, you know, cases of trauma that would be handled more aptly if we had better mental health services, mm-hmm. better mental health care in this country. Because the the way that the police exist in our country, although, you know, never openly talked about because then you wouldn't have such a blind faith in police, um, is actually a, a reactionary group. Um, there is very little preventative measures that a police department can take to stop crime. Um, things that would actually slow down the amount of crimes being committed, like we said, would be proper education, homes, health care, things that make groups of people that feel alienated and alone feel safe, um, feel as if they have upward mobility in this country, feel as if they have even a place in this country, aside from um, falling into... um, pre-existing stigmas such as selling drugs, committing crimes, you know, robbing and things of that nature. You have massive groups of people in this country who are genuinely believing that these are the only options that they have. And realistically, they're not 
quite wrong. I mean, if you look at communities such as, uh, let's say, maybe um, Compton. Let's let's use Compton as just a, a random example. Um, Compton is often looked at as a very violent city. It's a very poor city, and it also exists in between two very wealthy cities. Um, you have a massive amount of people who are not only set aside because of their race and ethnicity, uh, if not their religion, but also their lack of wealth. And you put them all together in a city that does not have proper housing, it doesn't have proper availability to healthcare, it doesn't have good schools, and even the schools that do exist lack the budget to provide proper teaching, proper educational tools, you have a lack of any, uh, um, community uh, activities like parks and things of that nature. You have no budget for building uh, roads, um, thing, things like that. So what is it exactly that we as Americans expect groups of people like this to do in order to survive? Do we expect that they're going to walk in to, say, a fucking you know, Walmart without uh, a nice pair of pants, maybe a nice pair of shoes, without transportation to even get to Walmart, without the money to print a resume, without the money to, you know, um, get to work every day and expect that they're going to be able to go into Walmart, interview, get a job in order to make enough money to support themselves and not have to turn to any form of crime. And what's important to understand is that with how much money goes to police departments in this country, it is quite literally impossible for communities like Compton, like, you know, some of the poorer parts of New York City, or any other city, right, you know, really. in this entire country, there are, you know, disadvantaged communities who, you know, would benefit greatly from more public funding of schools, of housing, of even, you know, access to food, right. access to, you know everything that these people lack because of their lack of resources. It is a matter of resources. Mm -hmm. And when you dedicate so many, so much raw resources to these police departments, you are vastly underfunding other aspects of life, which honestly are more needed in these communities than a, you know, occupying police force. And I think that this could easily be translated into a, a, a little analogy here. Let's let's say that the police department is a grocery store, okay? Um, every single year, this grocery store gets, let's say, a billion dollars to operate and function. That goes towards actually getting the products in the store that are needed, paying for the heating, the air conditioning, the lights, the electricity, paying employees, you know, the money that it takes to run a grocery store. And let's say that every single year, 90% of all of the burglaries that happen within that store go unsolved. And you're just losing a massive amount of products. And then let's say on top of it, you have 40% of your employees beating the living shit out of their significant others in the middle of the store. And then let's say on top of that, you have 70% of the non 40% that are beating their wives or husbands or significant others, uh, sexually assaulting uh, people that come into the store. And then let's say 
of the remaining that doesn't beat their significant others, that doesn't sexually assault, that doesn't uh, fail to solve burglaries, is this quote-unquote good guy cop. You know, or, sorry, good guy uh, grocery store clerk. Um, Nice. Yeah, and um, so they watch all of this happen, but instead of doing anything about it, they just simply fucking wake up and go to work every day, come and home. And they're nice to people. Yeah, and they're, they're nice to people. You know, they let people off of tickets. Maybe they play basketball with some of the kids down the street and they get a nice you know, little video they, of it. They double scan your items Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you get one for free. Yeah, it's, you know, they, they let things slide every so often. Um, and let's say now that this billion-dollar budget that this grocery store is getting... It's actually coming out of your and mine's pocket. It actually comes out of tax dollars. So this grocery store basically allows people to steal all the time, uh, has employees that sexually assault and beat customers, if not just simply their significant others. And then you have, I don't even know how to do the math in my head, but probably like 10% of the remaining employees who just allow this shit to happen. They're just fine with it because, you know, they're not trying to upset the apple cart. Would you want your tax dollars going to a grocery store like this? This sounds like the worst grocery store in existence. And yet we have so many people in this country that have a police system that operates exactly like this that are just blindly in support of it because, you know, what else are we going to do if we don't have the police? Mm -hmm. Just, you know, I love metaphors and analogies and, you know, whatever you want to call us. So let's say you're, 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 you know, a household and... You're pretty poor, you know, you're strapped for cash, and you have like $20,000 a year, and you pay, you have to pay like 10000 in rent, so you got 10000 left, and then it's like, you know, you gotta have a nice little budget for you and your family, and it's like, oh, you know, couple hundred for bills, couple hundred for food, couple hundred here and there, and you're really just scraping to get by, and for some reason, you're just spending like three, $4,000 a year on candles. It's like... <laughs> Wouldn't you just, you know, stop spending so much on candles and maybe put it towards the other things that you need, like food or water or electricity? Uh, Instead, you're spending money on something that has no added value to your current situation, but just something that you might think is... Nice. Nice. Yeah. You know? It's nice to be there. And you've had candles your whole life. Your parents had candles. Your they grandparents some, had you know, candles. They smell good. Yeah, they smell good, you know. Um occasionally they fall over and, and like shoot a thirteen year and shoot a thirteen year old black man somehow. Um but you know, they're nice, so it's like we might as well spend that money. And it 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 makes me feel good to have that many candles. Yeah, it's nice when I drive by and see a candle, you know, in someone's window, and then I immediately feel nothing but fear for my existence. I have never (laughs) had a candle burn down my house. Yeah, no, listen, I've actually had multiple conversations with candles, and uh, only a few of them have ever said the N-word, so it's like, (laughs) it's like, it seems like... And they did it jokingly. Yeah, and obviously... They were literally on fire, what can you do? Yeah, it's all right. But um, let's uh, let's take the metaphors aside for a second, and let let's let's go to uh, some some raw figures here. So, a lot of what leads to people's uh, lack of faith in things like defunding the police is actually their misinformation about what cops 
actually do. For the same reason that cops want to be cops because of, you know, TV and propaganda and things of that nature that make them want to be cops. So, uh, a New York Times article entitled How to Police Actually Spend Their Time, uh, presented a graph of a few big cities in this country and separated those graphs into the percentage of uh, activities, or, sorry, I don't know how to say this. It, it, the graph is a, a, a example of how the modern police officers in these communities are spending their time. So approximately 30% on average goes towards non-criminal calls. So this is, you know, maybe mental health crimes or, or your old lady with a cat in the tree yeah or you know uh you you know see somebody yelling at their significant other on the side of the street so you call the police that's about 30 percent of what a police officer in these cities do 15 to 20 percent of their time goes towards traffic violations Another 10 to 15% goes to what's described as other crimes, which I would translate to like loitering, things of that nature, trespassing. Um, 10% goes towards property crime. Uh, about 10% is what they describe as proactive. And around 4% is actual violent crime, which is also combined with medical and other responses, not just simply police. So when you look at numbers like this, it becomes clear that police officers in this country have a lot of jobs. They got a lot of shit that they're supposed to be in control of, and therefore, obviously, they need a lot of money. They need a lot of people on the force to figure out how to handle all of these problems. But one thing that could actually probably solve this is what is described in a different article entitled Unbundling the Police. Because what actually leads to a lot of problems in police departments in this country is an absolute inability to be effective on any level due to the absolute overwhelming amount of jobs that these police officers are supposed to be in control of. Um, so let's say for a moment, we're going to go into a world of make-believe here. Me and my buddy Troy, we just absolutely fucking love the police. We love them so much. They're our favorite. We actually go to all the police union meetings and cheer them on as they sit up there and talk about what kind of donuts and coffee they're going to get next week for we, the next meeting. We eat popcorn while listening to the police talk about you know, where they're going to stand on which corner the next weekend. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we love the police. And being that we are someone, some people who love the police, we want to learn everything we can about the police. So we listen to this podcast. And we find out all these this raw information about how busy police officers actually are. So being that we love the police and we want to see them be as safe and as happy as possible... We don't want them to be so stressed all the time. So you would think someone who, like us, loves the police and wants to see them stress-free would rather take away most of these jobs that don't require their uh, uh, presence. expertise. Yeah, their expertise, uh, especially their expertise with a gun on their hip, and allow them to focus on things that actually require their attention. Like the 4% of their time that is spent on violent crime. We would want them to be able to make this 4% into their 100%. But now, of course, we love police so much, we don't know what we're going to do without them. 
So what is it, Troy, that you, being a lover of police, think would help solve this problem of taking the remaining 96%—96% of these police officers' time— And what it would be that we could do to solve things like non-criminal crimes, um, mental health problems, uh, traffic stops, things of this nature. You know, as as someone who who loves the police, you just, you don't want to see them wasting their time on all this other stuff that they're not, you know, experts at. Correct. And so you might want to have the police give some of those responsibilities to other experts, who might be able to handle that kind of work even better than the police. And that's coming from a lover of the police. Yeah. Um, So some things that are being proposed in a lot of different communities are things like uh, community officers, which would be members of the community that uh, police in the same way that you think a, a police officer polices, except without a gun, while being a member of that community, so probably having some knowledge on uh, some of the people in that community, the area, and things of that nature. So being able to work on the same level as the person you're conversing with. So things like uh, uh, drunk or drunk... Uh, I can't think of the word right now. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of... Um, so maybe just drunk driving. You have domestic disputes. You have public indecency. You have... Uh, mental health outbreaks in communities, you could have members of that very community going to help these problems um, and learn to de-escalate them rather than just simply uh, police them. Because a lot of times what actually leads to a uh, bombarding of jails and things of that nature is hundreds of people getting arrested for things that they should simply be going to a class about. You know, you have holding cells um, commonly stigmatized as being a place where old drunk men hang out until they sober up. I mean, last time I checked, I don't really want most of my tax dollars just going towards a place that's going to allow someone who's an alcoholic to just be drunk and then just re-release them into the world without giving them even, you know, a helping hand. Mm. Um... And go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, you know, and this is a job that really is cut out for social workers, Mm -hmm. for trained psychologists, people who understand mental health episodes, who understand addiction, who understand delusions and psychosis and all of these other things that maybe, you know, a police officer's 800 hours of training doesn't cover like maybe a six to eight year degree in sociology, social working, or psychology, Mike. Mm-hmm. And again, we, we jump back to the, the propagandized idea that po- these police officers are these action movie heroes who are just, you know, sliding on the hoods of cars and firing into uh, big groups of terrorists and saving people from burning buildings and, and stuff like that. You know, people who know what to say at the exact moment in the correct way... You know, like it's literally a TV show. Yeah. Because it is. And uh, you you convince this huge group of people uh, that that is who they're supposed to be. And then you have them responding to things like uh, uh, speeding violations or uh, small groups of protests uh, with a gun on their hip that they're, like I've said multiple times just now, itching just itching to, to use. use. Just itching to use. So 
I mean, to continue down that road, uh, talking about how it is that uh, unbundling the police would help. Um, uh, sorry, reading my notes here. Um, so, a what what giving these jobs to other people would do outside of just simply giving someone else the opportunity to focus on one specific task in order to devote their entire, you know, all their energy to to helping people rather than giving an officer, you know, a million jobs. This would not only help both the the person in question, maybe the person having the mental health episode or being drunk drunk in public or the domestic dispute, not only help the community officer, social worker, worker, what have you, um, in having the time to uh, divest themselves into uh, that situation, but you also have this huge budget that now doesn't really need to go to police officers because you have other people doing these jobs that we're paying police officers to do. So now you have, let's say, let's, let, let's say, let's say you have a $5 billion budget for a city police department. And now rather than having them do a hundred percent of their jobs, you have them doing 4%. So to me, that would mean that they deserve approximately 4% of that budget. Well, yeah, you know, a big part, you know, some of the biggest portions of the police budgets are the actual salaries and pensions of these police officers. So one of the biggest ways that, you know, you're going to have to cut back that funding to these police departments is literally by removing or reducing the number of officers in the department. Mm -hmm. Having less people in uniform in these cities that, you know, are carrying a weapon that are using, you know, the force from the state, you know, to police these communities with. And that would only makes sense because realistically if you have a city let's say the size of new york city and you you change the the structure of the police department to make it so that the only thing that police focus on are violent crimes which is four percent of their jobs as we've said now um you wouldn't need uh the i I, oh i knew the number i think it's about 3500 police officers Mm -hmm. on the force you wouldn't need 35 hundred police officers on the force um to focus on four percent of their time because if only four percent of those officers time is spent on violent crime then obviously you would have like 3300 officers just sitting on their asses all day so now you have members of the community that can go into different jobs and this not only will take money away from the police takes tax dollars away from the police that can be used to build things like education systems healthcare systems public funding for homes and welfare and social programs but now you also have 3300 in this you know made up scenario 3300 people looking for jobs and it just so happens that there's this huge market for jobs that's opening up now such as community officers social workers psychologists things of that nature and you also have brand new education systems which allow these people to go to school and learn about these jobs and it's almost like if you took money and distributed it properly within a society you could have an actual booming society 
mm-hmm. rather than just having a fucking police state. <laughs> you know, it seems so simple. The it, math always seems so simple. But have you ever considered police do good? Um, actually, I have considered this because I don't know if you were here approximately 10 minutes ago when I told you that I loved police mm-hmm. and that you also mm-hmm. loved police. Um, so obviously I'm someone who thinks that police do good. So I think another uh, uh, idea in this fucked up world that is uh, American propaganda is that uh, police in and of themselves can be good. Because you have to take into account that um, of these, you know, 3,500 police officers, let's say 200 of them are quote-unquote good people, you have a system that exists right now that only exists to perpetuate that very system. You are hyper-criminalizing groups of people. You are building uh, economies in small towns based solely on private prisons existing. You are divesting huge amounts of tax dollars into police uh, departments, uh, funding for police officers, funding for uh, private prison construction projects and things of that nature. So, yes, where there can be quote-unquote good people that wear the uniform of a police officer, you don't have a system that can allow good cops to exist because it would be antithetical to what it is that police actually do. Right. The job of a police, just to be extremely clear, the job of a police officer in our current system is to, you know, literally just as plain as it gets, enforce the laws. Mm -hmm. If the laws disproportionately affect poor people, people of color, you know, other minorities, women, you know, teenagers, you know, if these laws are written in a way that criminalizes certain members of our society, certain actions within our society that certain members take, and the police are the people who have to enforce those laws, then those people enforcing those laws, by extension of those laws being bad, cannot be good. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I always see this meme on Facebook uh, that it's pretty uh, lib, but I mean, it's a decent enough meme to share to kind of get the point across. Um, Killing Jews and like giving them to the Gestapo was like what was quote unquote legal and therefore what was quote unquote good during Nazi occupation. So hiding Jews from being murdered would have deemed you a a law-breaking member of that society. And you could go to prison for that. You would be arrested by the police and go to prison. Yep, so now you have police officers. Probably some of them were, were good family men. You know, went home, kissed their kids on the forehead. Loyal, loyal Germans. Yep, who loved you know, people who just happen to be, quote-unquote, uh, uh, bad cops, you know, Gestapo. But that that's the point. You can be a good person and be a police officer, but you cannot be a good cop because, again, that is antithetical to what being a police officer actually means. Um, Even if you're one of those police officers that, you know, likes to, you know 
be lackadaisical with your citations, let some people go here and there, you're still an authority figure within a system that oppresses poor people, people of color, minorities. And, I mean, if we're talking about cops who let, you know, traffic violations go, who uh, allow people to get away with things, that, too, is a bad cop. I mean, if what your idea of a good cop is, is someone who enforces the law, then... Someone who maybe I get pulled over going 42 and a 40 who lets me go because it quote unquote, you know, wasn't that bad. That's a bad cop because he just let me go and I broke the law. So mm -hmm. wouldn't you want just police to just blindly enforce the law? Isn't that the system that exists now? And isn't that what would keep us safe, Troy? Well, you see, the thing is, most people, you know, white people love when police are lenient with them but then are also the first people to preach that the police need to crack skulls whenever you see protesting brown and black people. Well, you know, George Floyd did have a counterfeit bill, so it is perfectly... You know, he had a criminal record. Yep, it you know. is perfectly understandable why an officer would just stare at a video camera and kneel on this man's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds while being told time and time again that he can't breathe while having three officers stand around him and do absolutely nothing That's while citizens law. of the community tell him to get off of him while George Floyd is struggling to breathe. Um, that makes a good cop right there because guess what? George Floyd, he broke the law. He broke the law, Troy. So, um, just real quick to wrap it up um, because I feel like, as always, we kind of went off on some tangents oh, there. Know, who but, doesn't <laughs> love a good tangent? Um, to, break it, to break it down into simple understanding... What we mean when we say defund the police, although it is not what I wish we were saying, it is not abolish the police. It is make the police do what the police would actually be useful doing. You would not take a welder who went to four years of welding school, who's only been a welder, and tell him, hey, also, every time that someone gets really drunk and, like, tries to have sex with people in the community, you have to go stop him. And also, here's this gun that we have spent 90% of your training focusing on how to use it, um, but also we want you to be a welder. Um, you know, with the welder <laughs> example, it might even be more, you know, appropriate to say, you know, this person you know, did 800 hours of welder school, and then all of a sudden, you say, uh, oh, you know, hey, you know, while you're welding, you know, you're out looking for welding opportunities, <laughs> yeah, uh, a lady is going to run up to you and have a psychotic break right in front of you, and you're going to have to know how to deal with that. But without any training. And you have a gun on you. <laughs> yep, yep. And you are being strictly told that your job in this community is to stop crime. And your idea of what this woman do it, is doing is, is a, a crime. crime. Um, yeah, so we're not saying abolish the police, although... Again, we could. We could. We could say that. Uh, we're not, sadly. Um, what we're saying is defund this hyper-militaristic, inflated system that exists in our society that has an absolutely awful ability to actually do their job and do it correctly, who has a track record of 70% of sexual assaults across this country going unsolved with 32%, ready for this, 32% of these sexual assault um, DNA testing kits not even untested. being tested. Um, you have 
40% of murders across this country going unsolved because after 48 hours, I don't know if you watched that show. Cold case, yep, baby. It actually becomes a cold case and it is no longer a priority. And then you have 90% of burglaries, which to me is like the idea of the job that police solve is like, right, you police, call the police and say, hey, somebody stole my shit. Go my find property, that. you know, yeah. they protect property. But if you are not a member of the group that is actually paying their salaries, which we are, but a member of the group that is uh, idealized as running the people that yeah, pay our salaries, yeah, 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 yeah. then you your your property is not actually deemed property. It's deemed as like basically this non-existent thing that's not important because it's not actually affecting anyone's life except for yours. You're not important. That's your personal property. This isn't... We're not talking about real private property. Right, obviously. Unless it's a private property of someone who's going to slip me $10,000, you know, behind mm -hmm. the corner. But, yeah, so let's... <laughs> I swear to fucking God I'm going to finish this sentence. <laughs> we're not saying abolish the police. We are saying take the money that is given to this massive non-functioning system and give it to members of our society like psychologists, community officers, social workers who can therein use that money and their proper training to de-escalate situations, to prevent situations from like that from happening rather than just responding to them with a pair of handcuffs and a smoking barrel um, and give police officers who... Of course, we all love, we all love police officers and we want the best for them. Give them a stress-free, uh, happy, safe existence and allow them to focus on the one thing that actually requires a gun in their job, which is violent crime. Couldn't have said it better. Um, yeah, so with that, uh, it has been a pleasure as always, Troy. Thanks for being on the show and I, I hope... I hope to see you again sometime soon. Oh, yes. And quickly, rest in peace, Michael Brooks. Yep, rest in peace. Thank you, as always, to everybody who listened to the show. Thanks again to Troy for coming on the show once more to talk. Um, if you liked what you heard, go ahead and share it with your very conservative, police-loving friends and family. Um, if you would like to hear more, you can go ahead and find me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and Overcast. And I have, I believe, up to 40 episodes now. Holy shit, that happened quick. Um, if you'd like to offer some suggestions of topics or maybe what I could do to make the podcast better, go ahead and find me on my socials on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Annoying Question Boy. I also have a blog on blogger.com, also under the name Annoying Question Boy. Um, and yeah, thanks again for listening. I hope everybody has a great day. Once again, rest in peace to Michael Brooks. Um, thanks again to Troy and uh, fuck white America. Bye.